So our scripture today comes from the first letter to the Corinthians. And it's a, it's a familiar scripture about the body of Christ. And it comes just before an even more familiar scripture, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, which is the one that's read in so many weddings. Now, Paul wrote these two letters to the church in Corinth. And Paul said some pretty controversial things in these letters, and we're not really going to dig deep into those things today. But of these two letters, the first letter was written to a newly formed community that was struggling to figure out how to be church. They were fighting amongst each other. They were, they were just struggling to figure it out. Now, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth was much more affirming. Good job, church. You figured some of this stuff out. There's still, still some tweaking to do, but you're doing a good job. The passage today comes from that first letter to the church in Corinth. Chapter 12. Let's hear what it says. Reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Well, good morning. I am the Reverend Molly Carlson. I am the conference minister for the Illinois Conference. I'm so grateful for the invitation, Seth, to be with all of you this morning. I am, I, I, I am called to serve the Illinois Conference. Now, the Illinois, I always like to say this, the Illinois Conference is all of the members of all of the churches and all of the clergy and all of the covenantal partners that are affiliated with the United Church of Christ and located or virtually participate in churches that are located in the northern two-thirds of Illinois. So that means that we are the conference. You are part of the conference, and the work of the conference is supporting local churches in ways that they're stronger together, that it matters to be part of the United Church of Christ, that it matters to be part of the Illinois Conference of the United Church of Christ. Now, the body of the conference, you all called me to serve as your conference minister. I've served in this role for just over two years, and that means that I am one of your pastors. 
not someone that you meet very often or see very often, but I want you to know I hold you in prayer every week. I'm aware of things that you're doing, both from your newsletters and self-reported things and from meeting with Seth or connections with other conference staff who interact with you, from opportunities that members of this congregation might participate in different activities of, of the wider church. I'm always grateful for each of you and the work that we can do together. I bring greetings this morning from the 220 congregations that make up the Illinois Conference, all of whom are listening for a still speaking God, all of whom celebrate that no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are that all are working for a just world for all, and all are working to make a difference in their communities. We're in this together. Sometimes it can feel like we're alone and the one or two or a hundred or two hundred of us can't make much of a difference. But there are 60,000 UCCers in the Illinois Conference, and together that is a big voice. Thanks be to God. I bring greetings on behalf of the entire staff of the conference and the elected officers, including our newly elected council president, Reverend John Prane, who serves Avon Federated Church in Avon, Illinois. I bring greetings from General Minister and President, Reverend Dr. John Dorhauer, and I invoke the presence of the 5,000 UCC churches worshiping this morning that we really are one together, that we shall be one is our prayer. I invite you now to pray with me as we enter into this moment, the sermon moment together. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us and use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. I'm so glad to be here with you all today. As one of your pastors who you don't get to meet very often, I like to take the opportunity of my first time visiting a congregation to share a little bit about who I am little bit about my story and for a couple reasons one I want you to know me a little bit so that you feel you can reach out to me you can pick up the phone you can send an email you can ask Seth after me you can call me and tell me about Seth I'm very much not his supervisor and, and we are good colleagues um, I get calls about conflicts all kinds of stuff all the time I want you to know that I am one of your pastors, and I hold you in prayer. The uh, associate conference ministers and I meet every Monday, and we do pray for all of our churches on a weekly basis. I also want to share some of my story, not so much because it's unique, maybe all the pieces line up to make me who I am, but because those pieces of my story are not particularly unique, and they illustrate and connect maybe with moments in your lives, or mo certainly moments in the lives of other people in our communities and in our world. So I start my story by sharing that I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up, my dad was a pastor in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. And by the time I was 18, which is the height of all knowledge, 
I knew for sure that the church was a place of hypocrisy, infighting, and I wanted nothing to do with it. So I entered the season of young adulthood, that season of figuring out who you are and where you fit into this world, rejecting that which maybe was that one thing at least that was very formative in, in, in my childhood. So I was off at college getting a degree in mathematics when I discovered near the end of my schooling that I really did not want to get a PhD and teach math, you know, as one does. And, but I still thought the idea of eating and having shelter was an important thing. And so I, uh, apply, I looked for a job, and I got a job for Ameritech. And you all are in Illinois. You know Ameritech is AT&T after it was AT&T and before it was AT&T, that time in the middle, when it was, couldn't figure out if it was Illinois Bell again or if it was Ameritech. Anyway, I was with Ameritech for several years. And while I learned a lot, and that was a very... Um, Many good things happened to me in that season of my life. I felt like that, that yearning, that, that drawing, that, that um, purpose-missing, meaning-making thing that young adults go through, right? Where you're trying to figure out what it is that you're supposed to be doing with your life because what you're doing is not it. You know, when you know it's not it, but you don't know what is. So I explored all sorts of options. You know, maybe I should be a doctor. Maybe I should be a lawyer. Maybe I should get business school. Maybe I should be a social worker. Maybe I should be a culinary uh, expert. Maybe I should be a baker. You know, all doors were open. And then um, I happened to be dating this young man who I ended up marrying. And uh, oddly enough, he was a seminarian. And he had this audacious suggestion to me one day. He said, Molly, and this is the subtext that he didn't say, I'm sick and tired of you complaining about this. But the part he did say was, have you prayed about it? And I said, no, why would I do that? I was so disconnected from any, um, any sense, and re not just disconnected, but actively rejecting anything that had to do with church. I could find God in the kayak on the river much more comfortably than entering in any church building. I, uh, I was self-identified and maybe angrily self-identified as spiritual but not religious, and I was in good company. I had a lot of people around me that felt the same way. But this one day, it was bad enough that I was sitting in my cubicle and I said, inside my head, I said, okay, God, what is it that I should do? And immediately, this message in my head said, you should minister. And I said out loud in my cubicle, no. <laughs> but this experience, this moment wouldn't leave me. I shared it with some friends of mine who were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, you crazy? I don't think so. You know how I feel about the church, right? Yeah, but, you know. And, of course, my husband, my soon-to-be husband, um, was, was, was preparing to be ordained. And uh, that was by far close enough to the church. You know, being a preacher's spouse was already pushing my limits. 
But I continued to be unhappy enough that, and this experience would not leave me, that I finally said, okay, God, I'll make you a deal. I'll go think about it. It's all in my head. I'll go think about this. But I'm doing it on my terms. Have you ever told God you were going to do something on your own terms? Yeah, how did that work for you? Anyway, I ended up at Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, California, colloquially known as the non-specific school of religion. And everything you can imagine about what it is to go to seminary in Berkeley, California is probably true. It was wonderful. I was the student there in seminary that was cynical, that was uh, uh, working on constructing anything. I didn't have anything to deconstruct because I wanted nothing to do with any of it anyhow. And I was surrounded by all these smiley-faced um, colleagues that were like, oh, the church is so wonderful. I had this calling experience at camp and, oh, God is just great. Uh-huh. As I like, just wait till you go serve a church. I was the voice of, I wasn't the voice of reason, I was definitely the voice of cynicism in that setting. And, uh, and I, I, but I continued to engage. I continued to say, I have work to do with this. This isn't the end of the story. Now, I told you I really liked this idea of eating and having shelter in my life, and I knew that the quickest way to employment post-seminary degree, sort of like a degree in history, well, what do you do with that? Um, after seminary was to be ordained, and then I could maybe work for a church. I didn't want to, but maybe, maybe that whole thing of eating would overcome my, my qualms. And so I knew that the easiest way to do that was to work with the Committee on Ministry while I was in seminary. So I met with them, and, and uh, I said, I, I need you to know I don't plan on going into ministry. God told me so, but I don't plan on doing this. Besides which, um, um, I think I might really do like community organizing or some good justice work. That I could maybe feel like was fulfilling that missing part in my spirit. I could do that maybe. And they said, okay, well, we'll work with you along this journey. We'll see where that goes. And I think they knew that God sometimes surprises people with this journey. Uh, so then they were asking me, so what about, where, where are with you theologically? And I said, well, I'm good with God. I've always felt connected to God. And the Holy Spirit makes tons of sense to me, you know, how God works in the world and, and moves things around and not playing us like pawns, but just activity in the world. That all makes sense to me. Jesus, I don't get. They're like, okay, well, you should work on that. And I said, and the church, I think the church is the incarnation of evil. They're like, okay, you should probably work on that too. And I took it seriously. I really did. I really engaged in these sorts of questions and this sort of exploration. And, and um, I was much more serious about my studies than I had been uh, when I was playing around in undergrad. But I, my husband was ordained at this time, and he received a call to become the Minister of Fine Arts at a church in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, I was living in Berkeley. Now, Louisville, Kentucky, Berkeley to Louisville was a big move. 
But where else do you find a, a progressive Christian church that has five clergy on staff with one of them being a minister of fine arts? I mean, that kind of job just doesn't happen. And so, of course, I'm going to support him and we're going to go to Louisville. And I commuted to Indianapolis to finish up my coursework at Christian Theological Seminary, the other CTS. And, uh, and, during, and all was just magical in the world. We, were expect, we found out we were expecting our first child and everything was lining up just right. We, I'd finished my coursework in May. I'd travel to California to graduate and walk with my friends and maybe be ordained if that was what worked out, who knows. And then the baby would come at the beginning of July. Perfect timing until the baby come, came on March 1st. That's four months early. That's born at 23 weeks gestation, which is not considered viable in most um, what to expect when you're expecting books. And all of a sudden, I'm thrown into this, this mess. I'm sitting in the neonatal intensive care. I'm told that my baby likely won't survive the night. I am watching my baby be resuscitated over and over and over for months on a time. And suddenly, everything I was doing in my head went out the window. It was one of those seasons in life, and those of you who have lived, which, you know, you all seem alive to me. Once anyone who has lived, you've had those times in your life when it's, you just don't know how you're going to make it through. And someone misquotes scripture and says, oh, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm here to tell you that is not in scripture, and it is not true. There are times in, you, in life when you will have, not that God gives you, but that you will have more than you can handle alone. When you don't know how you will get up in the morning or you will take the next step or you will show up in the ways that you need to be showing up and somehow you just do. But at that time, I knew that there were literally thousands of people praying for us. And somehow that, that questions that I was trying to intellectualize about how does God work in the world and what is the meaning of prayer and how does that work? None of that intellectualization mattered anymore because I was held up. I could take a next step. I could sit by my baby while they were resuscitated or in surgery or just over and over and over the daily traumas of children in the NICU. And during that time, uh, this church that my husband was serving and I was reluctantly sort of participating in, um, they started the meal train. Y'all do a meal train here? You know, when you, bring, you sign up to bring a casserole? Well, it was about, I don't know, four weeks or so, and every other day, the meal train brought us a pan of lasagna, a pan of brownies, a bag of salad, and a loaf of bread. Now, I recommend that to meal trains and churches I've served since then that a variety is helpful. <laughs> but sustenance was delivered to my door with love over and over and over. 
folks were praying for me over and over and over. I was sustained and could continue breathing when life didn't feel possible to even be breathing. And I stopped fighting God. I wrote my theological paper. I finished my courses while I was in the NICU. I did all this stuff and I said, well, if God thinks that I should be a minister and the church thinks I should be ordained, I'm not pulling any punches. I'm telling them exactly what I think. And if they still think I should be ordained, I guess that's just what's going to happen. And so I met with the committee on ministry and they said, yeah, the church needs you. I'm like, are you crazy? Okay, whatever. We'll, we'll go with that. I told God, God better continue to show up because I didn't know how this path might unfold. I discovered that what my seminary professor said when she said that Christianity was by definition a communal religion was maybe true. And I looked at scriptures like this scripture that we read today that said we are the body of Christ. And I told you my other question was about Jesus, right? And figuring out and coming to terms with Jesus being the incarnation, the God alive in the world at a time and a place. And those stories that we read throughout the gospel, gospel narratives about Jesus turning over the tables, about Jesus talking to the woman at the well, about the, the healing of, Je of the woman touching Je the hem of Jesus' coat, the, the crazy stories he tells that make no sense until you sit with them and pray with them and talk about them in community and you're like, ooh, wow, there's a whole lot of wisdom there. And if Jesus is the Christ, the incarnation of God, what does that mean that the body of Christ that Paul describes, are we not the incarnation of God in this time and place? Now, that's a lot of pressure if you put it on me, on one, any one of you, any me, any singular person. But when it becomes a we, and we understand that we are the body of Christ. And our lives are stronger because we're in community together and we together are striving to live as, as Jesus described. We're as, as illustrated, demonstrated. We are striving to be God alive in the world. And we know that even us as a congregation, we fall short. And this is part of why we're in community with other congregations, ecumenically and then also within the United Church of Christ. There are 220 churches in the Illinois Conference. There are 5,000 in the United Church of Christ, and we're working for the same things. And sometimes an individual congregation is struggling and it's hurting, and it, it needs the equivalent of a meal train, of a magical casserole. It needs the support or the prayers. It maybe needs the physical attendance at another church's activity in support of them, not to leave your own community, but recognize your support in another community. You are also part of them. 
But then that also would mean it's true for uh, an individual conference. There are only 220 churches here in our conference, but there's another conference in southern Illinois and another conference in, in um, Wisconsin and another one in Indiana, Kentucky. They're all over the country striving to support our local churches and stronger together. But then that also would mean that denominations by themselves are insufficient. I thank God that God has so many ways to reach God's people. Two of my sisters married Catholic, and their children have been raised by the Catholic Church. And I'm so grateful for all the good that the Catholic Church does. And it's never going to be how God can reach me. Because I am a woman called to leadership, called to preach and teach, and there isn't space in the Catholic Church for me. And that's okay, because the United Church of Christ is here. And there is, God can reach me in this tradition. And God reaches people through the ELCA and the Presbyterian and the Seventh-day Adventists and the um, Jehovah's Witnesses and the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church and the Episcopalians and the um, Pentecostals and the Evangelicals, like everybody. And there are all these world religions, too, that support people seek, finding meaning in their life finding belonging in their, in their life, finding purpose. There's the Jewish tradition and the Islamic tradition, the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Sikh. There's so many ways that God reaches God's people. And God needs all of us to reach God's people in that way. One of the things I struggle with with the United Church of Christ is we are quick to say that we aren't all that special. That we're, as, you know, we're, we're ecumenical. We're not going to be better than anybody else. And I don't know that we, we're all good white liberals. That's part of our good white liberal syndrome, right? And there's nothing wrong with all of that, except there are people in the world that need to know God, that our tradition is the way that they could. I talked about my oldest child and the tra my trauma of their, their birth. When they were born, they were identified as male. When they were 17, it became clear to them and to us that they, had, that they were a girl and they always had been. We just didn't know it. So my transgender daughter at 17 grew up in the Disciples in the United Church of Christ, in a progressive church. The first thing we did together as a mother-daughter event, I took her to the women's retreat for the Central Pacific Conference. And um, as conference women's retreats go, the average age was about 85. And there were like 25 of us there. And we were gathering at Camp Adams in, in Illinois, in, not Illinois, in Oregon, between Friday evening through Sunday noon. And Saturday night was our reflection evening. We were sitting around the campfire, and we were asked, what is it that we are most grateful for? And we were going clockwise, and my daughter, um, who maybe or maybe hadn't shaved that day, so my daughter with a beard and deep voice and baritone, baritone voice, was sitting to my right, and she said, 
For the first time in my life, everyone here sees me as I see myself. And that's what I'm grateful for. So my mama, my mama eyes started leaking because it's the church with a queer teenager, transgender teenager saying, the church is the place where I am most accepted in all of my life. Now she's 21 now and her friends don't believe her because the, the story that is told in her Discord servers is that the church consistently tells these queer young adults and teenagers that they cannot be loved by God. And they don't hear another message. The folks that have the microphone on what it is to be Christian tell a different story than what we know in this congregation that my daughter knew in the churches she grew up in, in this retreat with 85-year-old women that, set, that saw her as herself, as a beloved image of God, exactly made to be perfectly true. That would go back and quote scripture, they'd go back to Genesis and say, God created them in their image, all, verb, all plural pronouns. All of us made in God's image. Beloved is the body of Christ. No part can say we don't have a need of another part. And yet, the church universal constantly is saying, God doesn't have a place for you. We need to stop being afraid of who we are and how God reaches people through our tradition because there are people out there that need that sense of belonging that are incredibly lonely. We look at the suicide rates of young queer people. Today is the trans day of remembrance. When my daughter came out, I had a conversation with her. I said, all of the black moms I know have this conversation with their kids. You've been a white boy, and I've never had this conversation, but you're a trans woman, and I have to talk about safety. The shooting last night in Colorado Springs, I imagine some of you saw that on the news. Our hearts break for those in our community that don't, don't have community, that are isolated, that believe the message that God cannot love them. We as the United Church of Christ need to be able to speak our truth, live our truth, be present with our truth in the world. The Pew Research um, showed in um, maybe 2021 or 2022, I'm losing track of the year, that for the first time ever, over 50% of Americans do not affiliate it with any faith tradition. Now, I've heard that from the pulpit many times with a woe is me kind of story. For me, it's a story of opportunity. It's a story of calling forward. It's a story that says people in our world are hurting. People in our world are, are missing a connection. 
because those same articles go side by side with those articles that demonstrate and show that people in our world are still seeking meaning-making, still seeking purpose in their life, still speak, seeking community, still speaking, seeking justice, still seeking um, connection. Loneliness is a pandemic in our society. We have, we're coming out of this pandemic experience with the COVID virus. And loneliness and disconnection are rampant. God has so many ways to reach God's people, but we are one of them. And there are people that need this good news in powerful, in tangible, in real, in life-saving ways. We are stronger together. God's world is stronger together. Our lives, uh, my life is stronger because I'm in community with you. Your life is stronger because you're in community with each other. This church is stronger because it's in community with other United Church of Christ congregations. The, the Illinois Conference is stronger because there are other conferences. The United Church of Christ is stronger because there's other denominations. We don't have to, we aren't overstepping anyone's boundaries by saying, God, sharing God's love in our way. Because there are so many people desperate, needing exactly what we offer. We've got to not be afraid to share it. Because all of our lives will be stronger together.